0: Piss your pants. <laughs> ah, <piss> your pants. <laughs> said,
1: piss your pants. Welcome to the Video Nasties podcast. As you can hear from the rather wonderful soundtrack created by actor and composer David Hess, this is going to be a little bit different this week. And there's a reason for that. There are a handful of the films on the Video Nasties list that are actually culturally significant. And not just significant because they're violent or lead on to greater things, such as the evil dead for Sam Raimi, Or significant because of their shock value, like I spit on your grave. Not even significant because of their artistic merits, such as possession. There are a couple that are a testament of their time. Good horror reflects the moments around them, such as Night of the Living Dead. Currently in our own horror landscape, we've just come out the back of the post-9-11 torture porn shockers, like Hostel or Saw. Movies that reflect the fear that some Americans have that foreigners do not like them and more than that, want to cause them harm or like saw before it descended into rather vivid and vicious violence with uh, ingenious traps. Ideas that there's a man out there who is judging you for little reason other than the fact that he just doesn't like how you've lived your life. Last House on the Left is more than just a rape and revenge thriller, even though it is an especially nasty one. It was born and bred of a loss of innocence in a Vietnam-ravaged America, one that saw violence daily on its uh, television screens of a vicious war held in a different, far-off land, and one that reflects the idea that violence begets violence, And it spirals out of control. And the idea that this American dream might soon and slowly be being tarnished. This is a film of America that is gritty, grim and filled with loathing for itself. Yes, there are huge misfires. And it is an unpleasant piece. But that still doesn't mean it isn't a powerful one. And much like Cannibal Holocaust, you might not like what it has to say. But you can't help but admire the gumption.
0: It has to say it. It rests on 13 acres of earth over the very center of hell. Here is the first motion picture to offer to the daring a look into the final maddening space between life and death the last house on the left to avoid fainting keep repeating it's only a movie only a movie only a movie sights and sounds far beyond anything you've tested the last house on the left to avoid fainting keep repeating it's only a movie only a movie only, movie. take as Only much movie. as you can. Only, movie.
1: The Last House on the Left is a 1972 American exploitation horror. Written, edited, and directed by Wes Craven, and this was his debut, and produced by Sean S. Cunningham. The story is loosely inspired by the 1960 Swedish film *The Virgin Spring*, directed by Ingmar Bergman, which is in itself based on the 13th-century Swedish ballet, a Dotta I Wange. The story is about a Mary Collingwood who plans to attend a concert with her friend Phyllis for her 17th birthday. Now, they're obviously going out for uh, some teenage kicks, as it were, and uh, they give their daughter a peace symbol necklace to kind of ground her a little bit and remind Ryan's here while she's out there going a bit crazy that her parents are at home. So they go to the city to the concert in an attempt to uh, score some weed, meet some criminals. A guy called Krug, who's played by David Hess. This guy is a rapist and a serial killer. And he's got a son called Junior and a, a psychopathic girlfriend called Sadie and a, a sadistic child molester called Fred as friends. They're on the run and they try and score this weed. Now, at this stage, of the, year, uh, the criminals show their true colours and decide to attack and kidnap the two girls for little other reason than sexual kicks. While this is going on, her parents are are setting up a surprise 17th birthday party for Marie. They get taken into the the swamp and a series of unpleasant things happen, mainly revolving around sexual violence. And they try and escape. Krug shoots Mary and after, after carving and raping her. And um, Phyllis doesn't get out much better either. Our murderers change out their bloody clothes and then head towards what they think will be sanctuary so they can keep away from the police while everything blows over but in actual fact, they they find themselves at the home of Mary's parents and th- and the parents discover exactly why she didn't come home last night and then act on their increasingly angry
0: instincts. Marie and her friend I feel like a woman for the first time in my life. Two girls from the suburbs going to the city to have a good time. Oh, uh, this is my roommate, Sam. Hi, girls. This is my sister, uh, Martha. Uh, Martha, these girls, uh, you know, want to buy some grass. Four killers on the loose, also looking for a good time. And the road leads to nowhere. They meet in the last house on the left. What began as a birthday party ends as a nightmare. I want to give you something. I don't want that. It's worth a lot. I don't want it. I want to be your friend. Oh, you want to get free. I want to be your friend. Are you all right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Just what did happen in the last house on the left? Dr. Collingwood. Lived there. Are you sure we're not going to put you folks in any trouble? No nonsense, our home is yours. His wife lived there. I've always dreamed of a man who could take me easily. So did their daughter, Marie. They all lived there. Junior. To avoid fainting, keep repeating to yourself. It's only a movie. Only a movie. Only a movie. Only a movie. Last House on the Left.
1: It is... um, Fair to say... Not the happy-go-lucky tale that you would hope... (laughs) Um, Sean Cunningham made his directorial debut feature, actually, uh, with a white-coater film called The Art of Marriage. Now, white-coaters were um, basically uh, softcore porn uh, dressed up as education. So, like, um, for our friends in the UK, the joy of sex. For our friends in America, it would be something along the lines of those uh, rather... Um, you know, those, those carnival kind of shows that went around, uh, trying to educate you about the, um, the world at large, <laughs> as it were. Anyway, this film, The Art of Marriage, actually grossed $100,000 and attracted a company called Hallmark releasing, uh, to him to make a better version of the film. Wes Craven had no money and was at the time put on the job of syndicating dailies from Cunningham's 4-day reshoot he and Cunningham became friends and um, Hallmark bought the movie for $10,000 and it did well enough to make a profit they gave them 90 grand and asked them to shoot a horror film Cunningham served as producer and Craven served as writer and director the film was written in seventy one, and the original film was intended to be far more graphic in its sexual detail, and uh, the actors and crew committed it to being a uh, hardcore. After shooting began, the uh, the sex scenes were decided to be removed, and they came thing. oh would it was um, you'd say softer, but really, I mean they they you know they focused on more. Uh, disturbing aspects. The script was written under uh, the film Night of Vengeance. Um, what makes the film stand out at this stage was probably the fact that it had uh, its advertising campaign. Now, you heard the trailer before with the refrain It's only a movie. They didn't really know how to sell it. Bear in mind, this was basically two men who had um, kind of stumbled on the money and never made a horror film before. So, the film went under many name changes, including Sex Crime of the Century, which was um, from the character's dialogue in the car scene, Coogan Company, a version which was included on the DVD release in the UK, and The Men's Room, simply because one poster showed a men's bathroom. None of these films were particularly worked as successful in drive through circuit. Until so somebody came up with that immortal phrase, it's only a movie. It's actually been used twice before that. Um, first for H.G. Lewis's um, Colour Me Blood Red and then William Castle used again for straight Jacket*. the following year. It was under this title Last House that the film proved to be the biggest hit. Stories vary somewhat about where this came from. Sean um, Cunnaman says that the person who gave him the idea was watching a cut of the film was wife who covered her eyes, prompting him to tell it it's only a movie. Other origins suggest That tagline was successful. That many other exploitation films used later used it, and the from the last house on the left, um, it was used in the marketing for the also notorious Last House on Dead End Street. And when we talk about Fun House, we'll get we'll we'll mention that little grim little film as well. It's not just in the UK, and we'll get into the details of the UK cuts as well later, but we'll also... But in the film itself had a huge amount of problems getting a uh, getting a release. Um, some small cuts from the original completely uncut 91-minute film are still rare today, and there are different versions on them at DVD and VHS releases. Some of that is from censorship from different countries... And to get a completely uncut print is difficult, as some c- cinema machinists were actually cutting scenes out from the film themselves and showing the cinema and the driver in the seventies. Although that wasn't massively uncommon at the time, as it went around the, the loop, people taking the occasional frame out. That's a little uh, thing that people, you know, the grindhouse thing of seeing missings and stuff like that. Many copies were cut hacked to pieces because some scenes some scenes seemingly become rarities. According to Wes Craven, some people who were offended by the movie even stole copies and burned them. So you get some incomplete scenes now, which are a little bit um, notorious. There's a lesbian rape scene, which um, we, it, it exists, but there's no soundtrack on. There are um, photographic stills of Mary naked in a room at the beginning of the film, reading a, be- a birthday cards, which insinuates the scenes were shot, but can't be found. There's um, scenes of Mary being raped by Sadie, which apparently shot, but again couldn't be found. Now, part of the reason for these scenes disappearing was a lot of it was improvised on set, and so there's a feeling that maybe they were never meant to be included anyway. And, of course, there's a very unusual version in the Krug and Company cut, where Mary is still alive when her parents find her, and she basically just tells them what happened, which... um, it's interesting but kind of loses something in terms of how the narrative flows and you don't get that horrible cringing scene when she's, they're sitting around the table and uh, it becomes increasingly clear what's happened I think it's probably fair that we go into the details of how the UK cut and it's Incredibly pained journey to the to uh, to being uncut in the UK. Yes, first off, it was a nasty, and was banned for cinema release in 1974. The video was released by Replay on '82. Went straight onto the Nasties list on June July '83 as one of the original. Um, stayed on the list throughout, so it's won the Collectible DPP 39s. Now. It remained banned through the 1980s and into the 90s but had built up a cult reputation. Critics such as Mark Kermode began to laud the film as an important piece of work speaking about its um, its nature and its, uh, its impact within the industry and also within horror in general. Um, in 2000 the film was presented to the BBFC certification and was refused again. So Blue Underground toured an uncut print around the UK without a certificate. Now that the reason the way you can do this is you can get city councils to um to pass it, basically. So for example, Southampton City Council granted an uncut version of the film with its own 18 certificate, so it could legally be shown in the UK. And it was granted a one off show in Leicester in june two thousand. However, the BBFC at that point stated that it could not grant the a certificate. In June 2002, the BBFC won against an appeal made by the Video appeals committee by Blue Underground. 16 seconds became close to 30 in that appeal. Now, Kermode actually spoke at the appeal and jokes to this day that his uh, his ability to critique a film and make it sound so important is so good that the actual cuts were made were, were even stronger than originally suggested. It was given a, an 18 certificate with 31 cuts on Jul, July 17th, 2002 and was released in May 2003. Ridiculously, the cut scenes were actually available to be seen as a slideshow extra on the disc. And you could link to it online so you can see the, the bit extra that was cut. It's only on March 17th that finally we got this free disc uncut collector's edition, which is probably the definitive edition to this day that you'd want. Um It is still um kind of prized as one of the, the better ones of the nasties. And uh, indeed, you know. I think people's opinions on it may change as they grow older. Um, I spoke earlier about the fact that it is it is kind of ham-fisted at points and how it's been done. And the reason why I say that is that there is comic relief between two of the um, incredibly inept policemen who are trying to solve a crime. Um, in terms of its aftermath obviously Wes Craven is probably you know the person that came out best from what happened and him and Sean Cunningham went on to great acclaim indeed Sean S. Cunningham went on to make uh, well, he created the Friday the 13th series of horror films and he also did the House series so he, he did extremely well <laughs> for himself and directed a series of films as well, uh, not just exploitation, but also things like uh, Spring Break and you know um, Deep Star Six. I mean, he's more of a. It uh, was more of a producer, in truth, than he was uh, a director. And then, of course, we've got Wes Craven, who's a, a man who still makes films to this day, but. Obviously, is known for his work in horror and slash, in particular, Nightmare on Elm Street, um, The Hills of Eyes, the Serpents and the Rainbow, Red Eye, which is a great little uh, seventy-minute um, horror film, like a thriller, really, and Scream as well, which is uh, he's still well known for and still loved. So he, you know, he, he's got his imprint on horror is huge, but as well. There's uh, David Hess. Now, Hess died aged 75 in 2011, and I think it's fair to say he fa- he thought himself more as a musician and a composer than an actor, really, although he, plays, he stands out, really, as the notorious Krug in this film. Now, in an interview with Lewis Paul for the book Tales from the Cult Film Trenches, he speaks of the um, the hardness and the difficulty that he had afterwards from making the film. The que- he says... Um, "After The question is... After Last House and Left came out, there was a huge backlash against the cast members, and you in particular, some of it because of the violence in the picture, which was fairly graphic. Due to this, you took the blows as an actor portraying a role, because people perceived you as the character you portraying, and to which Hesh replies... I was the role portraying an actor. How did you feel about the reaction to your character? Hess says, terrible. And then, did you have a rough time getting work afterwards? Hess says, I did not get any work. I got no work at all. I lost an agent because of it, and I could not get an agent after that. God bless them. Steve Missing and Phil sorry, who ran Hallmark Releasing, who released the film. Gave Mark Scheffler, who played Junior in Last House, and me some money to go write a script. They paid for a six-week trip to Europe. We went skiing and we wrote a script. That was their way of saying thank you, and I'll never forget them for that. It was wonderful. We wrote a script called Sugar Daddy, which we subsequently lost. We could not find the script afterwards. All that remains is the name Sugar Daddy. However, they wanted me to direct and star in it, and I would have, but something happened and it never got off the ground, and we lost the script. Mincy and 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 Sharidi are we really loyal to us and I'll never forget them for that. All I know is that afterwards I concentrated on my music. I composed music and somebody offered me a position with a record company in Germany. I picked it up at my apartments and put everything into storage, which this day I've never recovered, and moved with my dog to Germany. And with that he kind of um, Well he worked. He worked as an independent filmmaker and uh, he did the occasional bit of uh, acting um, and that was kind of I think it's fair to say it did indeed kind of um, dominate his life, the role I mean he was always that 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 hor- seen by many to be that horrible character it's not the only time he pops up on the video Nasty's list either we're going to spe- have to speak about uh, la um the house by the edge of the park at some point where he basically plays exactly the same character again as well as, its impact as well as being you know, felt within exploitation we mentioned last house on Dead End Street and we've also mentioned the house on the edge of the park Um, the rape revenge uh, cycle of movies and indeed the move towards more grisly and unpleasant content can be traced back to the the grittiness of last house and indeed i know we said that it's 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 not a perfect movie but it is an incredibly influential one but what about this uh, soundtrack as well that we've been talking about um i'd like to say thanks so much to one way static records who've given permission for us to um to to use the um, to use the music on this podcast to really give a feel for it. As I've said, the music was actually, um, created by David Hess. And, um, it's a wonderfully eclectic, um, soundtrack. I think it's fair to say. And I think that basically comes from, you know, well, a Hess's incredible skills as a composer, but also the, uh, the rather schizophrenic nature of, um, Wes Craven's film that moves between balmy comedy to incredible darkness to violence to blood pumping tension and also to, you know, quite quiet and ple and um quite and you know, it, it initially starts with that intro that we played as not being particularly hardcore at all. So there's a is a real testament to the soundtrack. Now you can now download it as well and buy this soundtrack. It's, uh, it's available on One Way Static Records website, which is onewaystatic.com. And I really would recommend it. Uh, it's $20 for the black vinyl edition, or you can get it as a digital download and a CD as well. Um, and you know, it's a, a, a dollars, euros, I should say. It's tw- 20 euros. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's only 10 euros for the digital download. So it's definitely worth, taking a listen to and there's a lot of love's gone into him to that soundtrack to kind of get it get it get it sounding great again And from this um, Lewis Paul uh, interview, it says, um, it says, obviously, it says, the question is, few people may realize you're also the music for Last House on the Left. And I only recently learned that you'd won four Grammy Awards for composing music. Is that what you do in your spare time when you're not acting? Hess says, I am a composer. That is my first love. Acting is a wonderful adjunct. I have been blessed with many things and with more than one kind of talent. I've been blessed with good looks. I've been blessed with being a good actor. I've been blessed with being intelligent. For me, music is the most important thing. Music is visceral. It strikes the ultimate chord. That is why my first love is music. I find it the ultimate way of expressing yourself. So, Last House on the Left. Notorious Nasty. Um, Divisive Movie. I think it's interesting in Particular that um, Roger Ebert said it gave the film three and a half stars out of four when it first came out. It said four times, I said it was four times as good as you'd expect. Although he later on went, Daddy, he, he said, um, I, I wrote that original Last House for you 37 years ago. I am not the same person. I am uninterested in being consistent, which I think is fair enough. I think it is of its time and. Although, I think you have to accept the fact it has a great power to shock. But at the same time, possibly with Ebus as well, it, it kind of led on to so many quite grisly and unpleasant films that maybe he kind of wishes that uh, it wasn't quite so effective in its, in its skills. And, of course, there was the remake as well, which includes at least in its unrated version, one of the dumbest endings I've ever seen to a movie in my life. It is not a great remake, um, and that's not to say I'm not, I'm not one of those people that are massively against them per se, si, but um, a lot of those, uh, the ones that seem to have come out in the last ten years, tend to be a little bit lazier than they should be, and uh, not particularly well made. There's one more thing I want to discuss with you before we finish, and that's um, The Virgin Spring. Well, indeed, the background to the original film. Now, The Virgin Spring um, is slightly... It, it does include the concept, but it has a story of a medieval Sweden where a prosperous Christian, whose daughter, is uh, appointed to take candles to the church. Basically, it follows a similar... Um, Move as the original, but it is steeped in the concept of religious vengeance and the idea that um, it's steeped indeed with religion. When the parents, for example, find their daughter's body, um, the father vows that, although he can't understand why God would allow such a thing to happen, he will build a church at the site of his daughter's death. As the parents lift her head from the ground, a spring begins to flow from where she's lying and um, they cleanse themselves in the water. Oh man, the father does commit violence, but it's done in a slightly different way. It It's done not from a cold need for revenge, but out of anger and rage and a sudden rush of blood. While I suppose in a sense there is an element that it follows the same kind of idea of, you know, a daughter goes out into the greater world, meets people such as, in this case, a one-eyed man and um, and uh, the, a, a group of people who then decide to rape her. Um, it doesn't necessarily um, you know, it, it, it's tonally and its themes are far more based in um, Christianity and uh, paganism and mythology, and the loss of innocence in a community, and the, the violence that comes from that, rather than just from um, vengeance, effectively, which is, at its core, uh, Last House's main focus. And, of course, this is based on this ballad that um, from the 13th century... Torres and it, the story is um, basically appears as um, three daughters and the gist of the story is um, basically that um, the three daughters of Tor and his wife kind of killed by three highwaymen went on their way to church now three wells spring up where the three maidens are killed and the men later visit the family farm and try to sell the girls silk shifts. Karen recognised them and realises the daughters must be killed by the men, so she tells her husband. He kills two of them, but let the third live. And when he and Karen asks the surviving hiring who they are and where they come from, he tells them that they were brothers who'd been sent away by their parents when they were very young to fend for themselves in the world. And that the parents were Torres and Karen in Vange. Really, it's like that he killed his own sons, told them vows to build a church to atone for his sins. So it's there, but it's slightly different again. And when you start getting down to this level of um, of layers and, and the way it's kind of shifted away so much from the original story, I think it's easy to kind of see that there's... although. You know, Wes Craven says he, he's, you know, based it on these kind of, these, these stories. Really, he has himself something very different that he wants to say. just had a little bit of feedback from uh, Rob Wilson, um, who is a regular feedbacker. Um, he said, uh, this is my uh, comment from my Facebook page from January 18th, 2012. I just watched 1972's Last House on the Left. I rented it, I think 1990 or 91, right after I'd seen Henry portraits of a serial killer. Watching Henry really made me nauseous. It's a great film, where the violence is very real. It's an A plus movie that I hadn't seen since. I don't think it would affect me in the same way today but I like the fact that there is a movie I have a bit of fear of. A couple of days after Henry I tried to watch Last House but I was super sensitive about what I was watching. After a couple of decades I gave Last House another shot. This didn't have the same punch. Being wise to the fact that the lead bad guy David Hess who passed away last October wrote the sappy music kind of took some steam out Speaking of music, there is some straight up pratfall clowny music near the beginning, which doesn't help the mood. Two clock cops who are bumbling idiots are present for comic relief and that stops the mood. The scene where the bad guy, the bad folks and girls parents are eating is surreal. Are they eating with a black curtain around them? I didn't hate the movie, I think it's pretty good, but there's many flaws, but still worth a watch. I guess Wes Craven admits it, 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 it was ripped the ripped the idea of the movie from Bergman's 1960 Virgin Spring. Now I can get another on my list. Something I didn't add um, was I really liked the acting. I remember reading in the past that the acting was shit. The look on David Hess's face after the murder has always stuck with me. It's just those goddamn cops. What the fuck? Cheers for that, Rob. Thanks very much for your feedback. Um, it's great. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I know, obviously, with the podcast, I've kind of said that, you know, I'm really into the um, the soundtrack. And I think if you're going to put, you know, faults with the way that soundtrack works at somebody's door, probably go with David Hess. On the other hand, you know, when you listen to the closing credits music at the end of the... Um, at the end of the film, it is quite rompy and quite like, you know, quite of a jokey kind of thing. And, you know, he kind of name checks all the bad guys, like the kind of like, you know, comedy gangsters rather than, you know, quite grim uh, sex offenders. So, yeah, it's, well, um, you know, I totally agree with what you're saying. It is certainly, uh, you know, it's, it's suffered from its age, certainly, you know, 40 years now, 41 years. And also, it's not, you know, it, it it is got that weird tonal, you know, jump between common, this lighthearted relief with the cops and very, very grim scenes of violence. And, uh, and sometimes wonder Wes Craven kind of knew what he was doing to try and juggle stuff. Obviously, he was kind of concerned that they'd gone too far and it pulls it back. But at the same time, you know, you, you kind of want him to push it as much as he can. So there is that kind of disconnect it but thanks very much for your feedback Rob cheers, cheers for getting that back to me right so um, thanks very much for all the feedback uh, I've been asked to give a bit of an announcement out to this week um, this weekend, uh, John Cottage, who's on Twitter at Chaosphere Forty K, will be um, live blogging his way through a three-day horror marathon for Halloween. So, um, if you if you fancy seeing how he gets up to, pop over to his Twitter at any point, and um, I'm sure there'll be there'll be <laughs> I don't know some kind of depth of madness probably by the time Sunday comes. But good luck to him. Um, thanks again for everyone who's been in touch. Um, and also massive thanks to One Way Static Records, who, whose music I've been able to litter through this slightly extended Dijonasti's podcast this week. Uh, hopefully, you've enjoyed it. It's a little bit different in terms of. I think it's a little bit more rambling. Um, certainly, uh, I've kind of I'm able to kind of discuss things in a slightly different way than I'm normally able to because I just know the the, the story behind the film so well. And it didn't seem much point going into the, the background and the history of Wes Craven. And so you I mean you know I'm pretty sure if you're listening to this, you're more than aware of who he is. And also, I'm pretty sure you don't need much of a review of what Last House is like. I'm sure you've seen it yourself by now. If not, you certainly should. So thanks very much for that. If you want to get a hold of me, please do. My email address is Videonasties at gmail.com. You can go to our website is or you can get me on twitter which is at orange underscore monkey also if you go to the website there's a link through to um the uh well to to uh, there's a piece with clips from the soundtrack provided by one way static records and also a link so you can listen to the entire album as well and links obviously so if you if you like it you can buy it thanks again once again to one way static for this it's uh, it's really helped i think and Giving a great tone and a great feel to the podcast. Until next week, in which we are discussing Cannibal Ferox, another happy-go-lucky tale, I'm sure you'll agree. Until then, take care, and I'll speak to you soon. Goodbye. <laughs>